going to be upfront and honest with you this morning. We're not going to get through it all today. I was looking at the notes. I was like, ain't no way, Matt. Ain't no way. But that's all right. Because as I said, I'm the person in charge, and the buffet's going to start till 1130. So we're going to make it happen. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. But anyways, what we're talking about today I think may hit closer to home for a lot of us than we realize it's going to. As we think about the things of our faith that work and the things of our faith that we struggle to understand, identity is perhaps the number one thing that we take for granted in considering a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we think of our identities, all of us think of who we are and the things that make us who we are. But I would dare to say that very rarely do we consider Jesus Christ more than just one aspect of who we are. And as we're going to see in today's story, when Jesus Christ or our, our faith in God in general it just becomes one part of who we consider ourselves to be, we can find ourselves in some trouble. Because with Jesus Christ and that new life, there has to become a completely new identity. Where it is not us and all these things that make us who we are and Jesus as part of that. But instead it has to be Jesus Christ as who we are. Do you see what I'm saying? One is a small influence therein the identity of, and one is the very definition and the foundation of where the rest of who we think we are comes from. And if Jesus Christ is just a small part of who we consider ourselves to be, then there are many other things that are trying to get our attention, that are trying to get our allegiance, that are trying to give us the direction by which we are to live. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm going to read the first 19 verses of this chapter, and then we're going to jump into what I want to share with you this morning. Would you please, uh, let's, I tell you what, let's pray before we start reading. I think that's a better idea. Father God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for the worship that we have shared and for the worship that we had experienced. God, I thank you for the presence of everyone that is here, for the relationships that they have had over the years, for the way that each one of them have influenced one another in their walk with Christ and in their understanding of what it means to be Win First United Methodist Church. But God, as we are gathered here as many individuals with many backgrounds and many present stories, we must come to understand that we are here because of one story that reaches us all, and that is the story of Jesus Christ. That is the one story by which we must enter into your house to worship, and that is the one story by which each one of us must realize we have been called to life. So God, I ask now that as we read of the story of Jesus Christ, the redemption work 
of you and your people, God, that we would see ourselves in the middle of it. God, I pray that you would open your word to us, that it would speak to us, that you would illumine the things that we need to see. God, let us rejoice in you as we give you this time and we remember your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 1. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiachin, the queen mother, and the court officials, and the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elish, son of Shaphan, and Gemara, and son of Hilkah, and they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. And this is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies and the God of Israel says to all the captives that he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the food that they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may also have grandchildren. Multiply and do not dwindle away. Work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for it is, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies and the God of Israel says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. And I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. But then I will come and do all the good things that I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I've sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. You claim that the Lord has raised up prophets for you in Babylon. But this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne and all those who still live in Jerusalem, your relatives who were not exiled to Babylon. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. I will send war, famine, and disease upon them and make them like bad figs too rotten to eat. Yes, I will pursue them with war, famine, and disease, and I will scatter them around the world in every nation where I send them, and I will make them an object of damnation, horror, contempt, and mockery. For they refuse to listen to me, though I have spoken to them repeatedly through the prophets I sent. And you who are in exile have not listened either, says the Lord. That is a very encouraging passage of scripture, is it not? Those are one of what we call the glass over scriptures. We read it, it's not a happy thing to read, so we glass over it. That's for those historians and other people, but it's not for us to read. So today we are talking about how we as God's people come together by finding our identity in Jesus Christ. And you ask Matt, so how how does finding our identity in Jesus Christ have to do with anything that we just read? I'm glad that you asked. Because what we're going to do today is we're going to learn the importance of keeping our foundation on the truth of God's word. By staying intentional and pursuing Christ. You remember we've talked about that. By understanding the importance of our actively living for God. All the while remembering the first thing. 
where our foundation must be built. Remember, identity is something that forms everything else instead of being formed by all the things. So Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Uh, there are several times throughout Scripture where it's recorded that, that, Jesus, or that, Jesus, that Jeremiah wept as he delivered the message that God had for the people. Um, he, in his writings and in the things that were recorded of him, it was revealed that he had a broken heart when he thought about the condition of God's people and he thought about the way that this nation of Judah, the people who were supposed to be set apart from all the other nations, had turned from the one who gave them the identity that they were supposed to live by. And he began to see the people of God the same way that God saw the people. You know, one of our greatest things of joy is to look on people who are doing it wrong and be able to recognize that they're doing it wrong. Am I right? We look at them and you go, those heathens, if they only knew. If they were only doing it the right way, they wouldn't have these problems. That's kind of the way that Judah had gotten to be. They had looked out at everybody else as the heathens, as the unlearned, as the people who weren't doing it right all the while they were becoming those very same people. And they had begun to forgot, begun to forget, goodness, Matt, I know English, I promise you. They had begun to forget who God was, and instead of being God's people, they were people who knew about God. There's a statement that I, I love to hear, and I, when I hear it, I like to think about it where it says that easy times make for easy people. Meaning that when you don't know hardship, it is very easy to become complacent, it's very easy to become lazy, it is very easy to start complaining when things don't go the way that you want them to go. And so in the complacency and the comfortable living uh, and the safety and the, the plentifulness of the promised land, God's people had become complacent. And they had become people who were easy living because they had been protected from their enemies. They had been protected from all the things that plagued the broken creation. And instead of living set apart for God's purpose and their complacency, they began to look more and more like the cultures of the outsiders that were around them. You remember when Israel was about to cross the Jordan River into the promised land and God said, be sure that you understand who you are because you are my people and those are not my people and their ways are not my ways. And so be sure that you understand who you are. So at this time, the nation of Judah, we've already had a split in the kingdom, they had forgotten whose they are. They've forgotten the ways that God had put out for them, but instead had allowed other cultures to give them a new understanding of what it meant to live and, to, and for who they were supposed to be. So if you go back a few chapters in Jeremiah, in chapter 25, we see that for 23 years, Jeremiah had warned the nation of Judah that if they continued in the way that they were going, that destruction would wait for them. You ever had a warning like that before? If you don't change what you're doing now, destruction is going to be laying ahead for you. Maybe some of you um, look at um, your finances. 
And, and you go, okay, if we don't change what we're doing, it's not going to be good in the future. Maybe some of you look at current political affairs and go, okay, if we don't change what we're doing as a country, our economy is going to tank in the next 10 years. Or maybe you've got a good friend that is doing something really stupid that they think is fun and is great and wonderful. And you say, okay, look, it might be going good for you now, but it's going to happen where if you don't change your ways, it's going to get really, really bad. So for 23 years, Jeremiah had been chasing Judah and telling them that if you don't change what you are doing, if you don't remember who you are supposed to be, destruction is going to come. And for 23 years, people wouldn't listen to him and they wouldn't uh, take heed to his warnings. And so the first 30 chapters of Jeremiah's book tell of the warnings and tell of the ways that he has told Judah that they are forgetting who they are supposed to be and what lies ahead of them. And so here we see a very similar place to where we as the church are. Because I'm going to be honest for y'all, with y'all, to y'all, about us, all that good stuff. I'm just going to be honest. The church has known easy times for a very, very long time. The church has seemed to be the ruling force or entity in society for a very, very long time. We lived in what was called a, a Christian culture where Christian standards were just the basic standard of living. And even if people didn't have faith or they had a very, very small, shallow faith, they still operated by Christian standards. We are now living in a culture as what is called a post-modern, post-Christian culture, meaning that there are more and more people who are not living by Christian standards. There are more and more people who do not uh, subscribe to the Christian faith or the Christian way of thinking on several subjects. But what we are seeing in the church is that what we have been complacent on for so many times is now coming back to affect us. The United Methodist Church is at half of the membership that it was 30 years ago. That's about half of what it was 30 years before that. So there's a constant decline in attendance in the Methodist Church. But it's not only the Methodist Church. It is all Christian denominations across the board. When you uh, survey households and you ask houses um, where they stand in regards to Christian faith, you have more and more people who are saying, we don't affiliate with Christian faith. And here's why. In 1973, if you built a building, made it look pretty cool, did some neat landscape, put a sign out front and said, this is such and such church, we meet at Sunday morning at 9.30, people would see that and people would come to the building. And that became our understanding of being Christians and sharing the gospel. As we build the building, if you build it, they will come. There's a reason that movie was named The Field of Dreams. It's a dream if we think that is how people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so that complacency of the church that if you build it, they will come is now starting to have the effect of what it is going to do in the life of the church and in the life of our country. You see, people didn't come to Jesus just because he wore a name tag that said, I'm Jesus. Jesus traveled a lot. Jesus spoke a lot. Jesus met with a lot of people. Jesus shared the gospel with a lot of people. 
So the identity of today's church is becoming muddled by the culture around it as the church tries to find a way to be relevant, as the church tries to find ways to fit into the culture, the church is slowly, slowly, slowly losing its identity in Jesus Christ. And we start becoming churches about other things and we start having idols that we say are about God, but in reality, they're just trying to get people to pay attention to who we are. So Jeremiah's message to the people is much like what we need to hear for today. But the thing is, is that Jeremiah's message angered a lot of people because he told them things that they don't want to hear. Anybody hate it when the preacher tells you something you don't want to hear? Did anybody know that the preacher doesn't like telling you things you don't want to hear? You just th- stick that in your pocket, have that. So in chapter 28, we see that there's a prophet named Hananiah, and Hananiah's goal was to build up a following for himself. I don't know if you know this about preachers, but sometimes preachers like to have a following. It it makes us feel good to know that there are people who support us. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago where Paul said, "I I, I didn't die for you. I wasn't the one who came to save you. Don't be following me. But we, we're, we're fallible. We do it. Sometimes it happens. So this prophet Hananiah told the people of Judah that as God's people, they were justified in anything that they did. Do you see how that's a dangerous thing? You can do whatever you want to do because you are God's people. Charles Manson did that. Jim Jones did that. A lot of dangerous things happened with that mentality of because I am God's own, I can do whatever I want to. Paul even spoke about that. He said, you know, you can do anything, but it's not all permissible. Or or anything's permissible, but it's not advisable. So Hananiah was trying to get some followers, and he said, you're God's people. You can do whatever you want to. Who can tell you that you can't do that if you belong to God? And he began to promote this understanding of a self-image over God. Now, let's be honest. There's a lot of us even in this building today. But there's a lot of us in the church who are worried about our self-image more so than we are our connection to God. And you sit there and say, no, that's not the case, Matt. That is not the case whatsoever. You remember last week when we talked about sharing our faith? And about having a confidence in God over a confidence in ourself. When we shy away from telling somebody about Jesus Christ, nine times out of ten, it's because we're worried what they're going to think about us. It's our self-image over God and the things that God wants us to be about in the life that we're supposed to live. So Hananiah would claim God's authority, but instead he led people into self-worship. To be honest with you, our church is full of people today who come to church every Sunday, not our church, but the church, is full of people who come to church every Sunday worried about self-worship. It's all about them. It's what they want. They want to be the ones who are seen and acknowledged. And so Hananiah felt that if he used the authority of God to make these statements and he spoke against Jeremiah, then Judah would be fine. Do you know there's actually a psychological disorder where you can think something up in your mind and you feel like if you can get somebody else to agree with that then it becomes truth truth doesn't work that way 
I'm be honest with you. If you think that fire is not hot and you get somebody to agree with you and you step in that fire, it's still going to burn. It's still going to be hot. I think the worst thing that's ever happened to society is social media because it's allowed people with bad ideas to get together with people with bad ideas. And they agree with each other's bad ideas. And the next thing you know, we have a movement made of bad ideas. Am I right? We see that a lot. Sometimes it happens with us. So anyways, there was another prophet we read about in chapter 29 named Shemaiah. Remember, this is one of those lessons we don't copy the names for naming our children. He was also popular with the people, and he spoke out and declared that the ways that Judah had been living did not go against God because they still kept God as a part of who they were. So therefore, that he added the idea that they were justified, and he was promoting self-pursuit and purpose. So the first guy was really scary because he was talking about self-image, but then the second guy was talking about self-purpose and promoting the things of pursuit of self. I'm going to be honest with you. That is the American dream right there. Don't get mad at me when I talk about the American dream, but the American dream is not God's dream. The American dream says that you have to work to build up for yourself, but yet God's dream says, I've already given you everything you need. The American dream says, take what you can in order to ensure who you are in society and your place in society. But yet God says, I've already told you who you are. And you are far beyond what society says you need to be. So we've got two prophets right here who were using the authority of God and were promoting something other than an identity based on who God says they were. We are in the middle of our culture right now. A culture that pays attention to self-image. That wants to make sure that everybody has a clear image of who they are, whatever it is. And everybody has to agree with that. And I'll be honest with you, the word, the word civilization tells us that people are working together for the good of the common. But when you have a ton of individuals who only worry about their self-image and who only worry about their own progress, what happens to the person beside them? They become less of a priority, am I right? They become something that is expendable in order that we might reach our own goals. You see how that's a little bit different than the things that God is laying out? But do you see how they seem innocent? When we talk about somebody and their, their self-image and they're feeling good about themselves, we want people to feel good about themselves, right? We want somebody to be sure about who they are and, and who they feel that they are, right? We want that. But you see, one of these is being powered by sin and death, and one of them is being given by God. The one that is being powered by sin and death is worried about self for the sake of self. But yet the one that is being powered by God is one that is understanding of self by the one who created it. So these two prophets in, in Judah's history were telling them to pursue things of self-interest and self-worth, but doing so in the authority of God. Well, people bought into what they were saying because it's easy to buy into somebody that says something you want to hear. It's easy to follow somebody that says words that are enticing. So Jeremiah's words came true, 
And King Nebuchadnezzar's army overthrew the city of Jerusalem and he sent all the officials, all the tradesmen, and anyone of value into exile. And you say, why would he do that, Matt? So when you would conquer a city or a country back in the day, what you would do is you would take their most important people or their most effective people and you would send them into exile in order to keep that country from rebuilding. If you've got a country that's only left are the, the useless people and the idiots, nothing's going to happen, am I right? So all the politicians stayed behind. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but everybody who could have a part in rebuilding the city of Jerusalem was taken to Babylon. Remember, these were the people of God who were supposed to have an identity by God who were promised this place where they would have peace and land flowing with milk and honey and it had been taken away. There was a book that I read in seminary that played a big part in my um, faith journey and it was called The Story of God, The Story of Us and it was actually written from the perspective of these people who were in exile. And the people were sitting around the fire one night and they were mad at God. They were furious at God that he would take away their, their, their promised land. And they were just angry like, God, why would you allow this to happen if we were your people? And this old wise man comes and sits by the fire and he begins to tell them their story. The story of their people. And each night he begins to reveal that in fact it was not God that led to their exile, but instead it was their slow forgetting of who God was. And he made a statement when he was talking about the people in the wilderness and the reason that they had to travel the wilderness for such a long time is because they forgot who was leading them. They forgot that God was leading them. And he said, as God's people, what do we lose when we lose our ability to pick up our tent pegs and follow wherever God calls us to go? It is very easy for us to find something comfortable and stick with it and hold on to it. Something where we find comfort, something where we feel security, and in doing so, we latch on to it. And we lose the ability to do so many other things that God had destined for us. The people of Judah had latched on to the idea of self-importance, self-awareness self-image, self-care, all of these things that in and of themselves don't sound bad until they became an idol and until they started demanding more or requiring more than they could give to God on the other hand. And as a result, God became a part of who they thought they were instead of being the foundation by which the rest of who they knew they were was built on. And so as God just became a part, God himself became an idol, something that required a little bit of attention in order to maintain his place in their life, something who required a little bit of acknowledgement just so that they could feel that they had his authority and protection. So they became lost in a culture instead of a people set apart unto God himself. And so in exile, these people struggled not only with their situation, but also their identity. There are a ton of people who claim to be believers today who struggle with their identity. 
They struggle with who they're supposed to be in their church, who they're supposed to be in their family, who they're supposed to be in the workplace, in society. Because the world around them is telling them that you have to be seen, you have to be noticed, you have to make a huge difference that people will acknowledge and give you these accolades on. And if you're not doing that, if you don't leave some great legacy where people will remember your name, then you are not being successful. But as believers, if we read the book, if we pay attention to what God has said and we pay attention to what Jesus has promised, our identity has already been formed. And it is from that understanding that we seek success. It's not that the world will remember us. It is that Jesus Christ did remember us as he hung on that cross. It's not so that other people will look at us and think highly of us for our own sake, but it's that when other people look at us, they think much of Jesus Christ. You see the difference? I've told you the story about Maxie Dunham before. Um, he was speaking at chapel service at Asbury, and um, later two of the teachers were talking, and one of them was sharing about, and I love it when Maxie Dunham comes to speak. And the other one was like, yeah, he's one of those people that when he, he leaves, you know, he's full of God and he's full of the presence of God. And the other one sat there and said, no, honestly, when he speaks and then he leaves, I remember that I'm full of the presence of God. You see, that's what makes a person great is that when they can leave behind the fullness of God wherever they go. And that is an understanding of an identity and a self-image that leads to the, the fullness of our created purpose, that leads to the fullness of the peace and the life and the hope that Jesus Christ told us about. So these people of Judah were in exile and they didn't know who they were. They were struggling, asking themselves, how can the people who belong to God experience such destruction that they had? And how could God allow such things to happen? You ever asked yourself that question before? I hear people ask it about stuff going on in the world all the time. Well, if God is such a good God, why did he allow that to happen? I love God, I go to church, I tithe on the regular, I, I'm in Sunday school on a pretty regular basis. Why would God allow this to happen to me? It's a forgetting of our identity because we're allowing God just to be part of who we are instead of all we seek to be. So when Jeremiah spoke again, his words finally opened their eyes to the situation. And the people of Judah acknowledge we've messed up. But now we are in a place where we can't fix it. So what are we going to do now? And I'm going to do something terribly mean. But I'm going to make you come back next week to figure out what they're going to do about it. Because I think it's important that we spend a week thinking about that. What are we going to do now? As God's people of Wynn First United Methodist Church as the United Methodist Church, as the Church of Jesus Christ in the entire world, 
when God ceases to be the fullness of our identity, there are other things telling us who we are and what we're supposed to be about. And as a result, God becomes less and less. So what are we going to do about that? To make God become the fullness of who we understand that we are and the goal that we have to live in this world. I want you to think about this next week and then next week we'll come back and we'll find the rest of the story. Will you pray with me please? Father God, I ask right now that you would give us hearts of unrest for this next week. And as we consider our walk with Jesus Christ and what faith is calling us to do as we think about our identity, God, I pray that each person in this room would be given such a place of unrest as we think about how we have been defining who we are and our purpose for this world. God, we see throughout the pages of your word that we have been called to new life, to abundant life, to a life of joy, to a life of serving one another, to a life of going and laying down our lives for the sake of the gospel. We've been told that we are aliens in a foreign land, that we are not members of an earthly kingdom, but of your heavenly one. But God, every day we allow our self-image and our self-worth and our identity to be defined by something other than what you have said we are. So God, as we consider the foundation of our identity, the foundation of our purpose and our calling in this life, God, give us unrest. Help us to look back on who you say we are. God, help us to pour into your word to discover how we are to live according to your truth, according to your goodness, and according to the identity that you have given us. And then God, help us to respond through your power, through the presence of your Holy Spirit, to respond joyfully, excitedly, let our unrest of how we have been complacent turn to unrest in that we know we have so much more to do and so much more that we get to accomplish for your kingdom. God, as our call to worship said this morning, may our identity bring you glory. May our presence bring others into your presence. May our understanding of you be the power by which we live this life. We pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.